Now, as has been happening a little too often since uh, Daylight Savings and we moved the time back, I, I'm running out of time here. So instead of playing a little music, we're going to go straight to our daily New Testament reading. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. We're going to be looking at this at the top of the 8 o'clock hour here on His Time. Uh, and again, in case you don't know, I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. We're going to look at the text right now, and uh, I'll talk with you a minute after it's over. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with his hand, with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, given to God. Well, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus, making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus Jesus declared all food clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. We're going to be looking at this at this other side of the 8 o'clock break with Pastor Matthew Richard of Zion Lutheran Church in Gwinter, North Dakota. Good friend of mine. Can't wait to talk with him about Mark chapter 7. If you got a question or comment, we'd love to have you join, you, join us live this morning, 1-800-730-2727, right on the other side of this 8 o'clock break. Meanwhile, we're going to have just a little bit of music here before some, uh, some uh, underwriters and whatnot, and then the catechism on the other side. We'll see you in just a moment here on His Time Worldwide, KFUO, the messenger of good news.
Welcome back to His Time on Worldwide KFUO. We are the messenger of good news, and this morning we're doing our best to teach you to rightly divide law and gospel by looking at the text of Holy Scripture, particularly the New Testament, Mark chapter 7, and distinguishing, learning, seeing what it says about who we are to be, and more importantly, even than that, what it says about who our Lord Jesus Christ is for us. To help us with this test this morning, we have on the line via phone Pastor Matthew Richard of Zion Lutheran Church in Gwinner, North Dakota. Again, we will be talking about Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 1, all the way down to verse 23. If you've got a question or comment about the text itself, you can give us a ring. We'd love to hear from you, 1-800-730-2727, or you can tweet me at Rev Fisk. i uh, got a question lined up there already about chapter about verse 6 and 7, but if you got a question, we want to have that on the air with us as well. Let's say hello, though, to Pastor Richard. Good morning, Pastor Richard. Good morning. Good to hear your voice, Jonathan. Uh, yours as well. It is always good to hear your voice and to know I'm, I'm in I'm in for a treat. I'm in for some clear law and gospel proclamation when I, whenever you get up and preach or talk or do any any such thing. That's uh, good to hear. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a fun text. Really, really fun text to look at. So uh, just curious, it got pretty cold here last night. We got down to 17 degrees. What's North Dakota like today? Uh, let's see. Uh, yesterday actually was about 27 degrees yesterday. So uh, sun was shining Kind of that, that that weird mix where the air temperature is cold, but the sun is actually feeling warm. So snow starts to melt, and uh, I, boy, man, we had a big snowstorm come through North Dakota here. Was it last week, late last week? And uh, you know, March is always peculiar because you get excited about summer, and then all of a sudden, bam, you get hit by winter and you get cranky again. So we're 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 looking forward to some sunshine and some sun. Uh, some some nice weather here coming soon, hopefully. Yeah, I, I know that feeling that that St. Louis is is. Perfect in one sense, in that it has these 75 degree days that you'll get them for almost a week, and then boom, winter again. Uh, at least in North Dakota, it was like just it, nice was 35 and sunny. It wasn't quite as much of a tease. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's almost here. March, you know, it, it's up and down with weather here, but uh, otherwise, yeah, it's it's uh, nice to see the snow melt a little bit and clear up. And before we know it, you know, the uh, farmers will be out seeding and getting ready for the. Uh, you know, harvest this summer and getting things planted and uh, so forth. So, yeah, it's really kind of fun time. Spring is always kind of fresh and new. So. That is, it is. The race is on once that sun comes out for the, the planters. So, uh, Mark chapter 7, what should we know context-wise about this? Anything we need to bring with us from the previous texts? You know, the biggest thing with this text here is, you know, the way of looking at it is it's, it's a really a focus where you have the scribes and then the Pharisees. The Pharisees basically being um, a religious party, and the scribes were, we can think of the scribes as a religious profession. And so we see these two groups joining together. I mean, they're, they're mounting attack against Jesus on this occasion. So uh, very, very much definitely um, a re- really hard push from the uh, religious party of the Pharisees and the religious profession of the scribes. They're gathering together, and as a joint front, I mean, they're putting a full-court press on Jesus in this text. And so uh, we, we can't overlook that. We have to understand the context that there's some, some heavy hitters here coming against Jesus. So this is a, a very confrontational text. Yeah, escalating the the conflict. I think the last time we saw them, they were accusing him of being Beelzebub, right? That, that he'd gone away. And now they're back in there. That didn't work. The ad hominem attack didn't work. So now they're looking for something to really pin on him. And uh, verse verse 1 says, Now the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes. As you just said, this is the, the, the party amassing its power. And they'd come from Jerusalem, which is kind of the, the center of power for Israel. They saw that some of his disciples, that's verse 2, ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And I think the, the Greek there is they were unclean, 
that is unwashed, it says. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. Key phrase there, tradition of the elders. We've got to come back and talk about that. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions they observe, such as the washing, and pretty important notice right there, that word washing in the Greek is baptized, such as the baptizing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So there's this thing called the tradition of the elders, and it has taught them that it is holy, it is meat, it is right, salutary, and good, that they need to clean everything in just the right way when they're in contact with uh, non-Jews, with the Gentiles. And unless they do that, they are therefore defiled. They are unclean. They are unworthy of worshiping God, basically. And they're noticing that some of his disciples aren't doing this, and this is all just kind of the setup. But thoughts about any of that? Yeah, I think the first thing, when we hear this, we always think, you know, in our modern day and age, we think of uh, hygiene. I mean, if you look everywhere, um, especially moms, they you know, always tell their kids, go wash your hands, you know, um, always wash your hands. And especially during flu season, we always have the little pumps, you know, of alcohol, uh, hand moisture that you put on and kills all the germs. And so we're always about washing your hands and keeping clean. This is not so much a hygiene text. So it's not like they are, uh, you know, going the way of their moms, wanting to keep them clean. Uh, it's more of a ritual. So we want to think of it that way. So it's more of a ritual that is done um, according to the traditions of man. And so we want to understand that tradition in of itself is not bad. Uh, tradition, when it serves the gospel, when it serves the word, but tradition can become very bad when it goes the way of um, uh, impeding and, and obstructing uh, God's Word. And so this is a text here where these are traditions came, coming from mankind, not from uh, the Scriptures, not from the Word. And these traditions are being imposed on the people. And as we're going to see here, Jesus does not follow the traditions of man. And as a result, he receives a harsh rebuke. He, he receives a pushback, or, or we could say um, maybe more in a political term, a blowback. Uh, for not uh, going the ways of uh, the traditions of men. And these traditions, like you said, uh, they are religious traditions. This isn't even just like saluting the American flag. This is what you're doing at church that isn't commanded or forbidden, and they're at the point of believing, no, 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 it, it actually is commanded. And one of the things that, that struck me, I think this was from uh, Dr. Veltz's commentary from Concordia Publishing House that came out, I think, a year and a half ago or so, is this phrase, the tradition of the elders, is a technical term. And it, it stands for something that they believe literally came to Moses. You might remember there was a time when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he takes 70 of the elders of Israel with him, and then they eat and drink in God's presence, and this is kind of the end of the text. Well, what was believed, and this really arises in the intertestamental times, this wasn't believed from Moses' day forward, but it became believed at the time that Jesus is there, that from Moses' day forward, there were two traditions that were handed down on Mount Sinai. One is the written tradition, the Torah, right, which we have written in the Old Testament, and the other was this tradition of the elders that was a verbal tradition given to those 70 elders of Israel that now has been passed on orally and effectively is what the party of the Pharisees believe is their proper interpretation and understanding of the Old Testament. This eventually gets codified in what we would today call the Jewish Talmud, uh, and that, that belief, the key here is that belief that this is not just any old tradition, but this is from God himself. That's the problem. That's where the conflict's going to come out now, that they're setting what is just tradition up as if it were from God. I don't know if you ever heard about that, Pastor Richard, before or not. No, 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 but boy, it makes sense. I mean, and, that, and that's the trick, though. I mean, the traditions can be very, very embedded in culture, and they can become very much part 
of a um, church or society, and these traditions can become such powerful um, influences on a person's life that that uh, we can easily equate them coming from God. And so that's, I mean, that's the key characteristic or the key trouble here is, I mean, if, if they are indeed from God, then we would say that Jesus is sinning by not following these right. uh, traditions. And so so here's, that's where really the rub is. I mean, if they are from God, then we would have to deem Christ as a sinner and a lawbreaker and a rebel. Um, if they are not, then Jesus is in the right, and then obviously then they are following uh, traditions not of God but of man. And so, I mean, that's really where the rub comes down on this text uh, and thinking about this. And it isn't, and we're going to see this in a moment, it isn't that it's wrong to follow traditions of man. It's what's wrong is to follow them as if they're from God. And then, as Jesus points out, to actually get rid of what God says for the sake of the tradition. That's the, the thing. It's not that Jesus isn't going to have this big moment here where he's like, traditions are, are terrible. We hate traditions. God hates traditions. No, he just doesn't put them on the same level as his own word. Uh, now, to set this up, uh, the Pharisees are actually going to start the conversation with him. Verse 5, and the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to, there's that phrase again, right, technical term, the tradition of the elders, that is this belief, this oral teaching, which is codified, and we all have it memorized, and we believe it came from Moses and from God's own mouth. Why do your disciples not follow that, but instead eat with unclean hands? And Jesus, as he's so often going to do in Mark's gospel, he does in the other gospels too, but he just ignores their question. Like, he doesn't even really give them the time of day. He, instead, he just insults them. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? I mean, not the way to win people over normally, right? I mean, did you did you get taught this at seminary, Pastor Richard? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. Call people hypocrites right away? <laughs> yeah, I know. He just, bam, he just goes right at them. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then he, he explains it. You leave the commandment of God to hold the tradition of men. That's the key, right? Um, right so right. so you have this stuff from Isaiah here. Uh, it's a quote with a greater context. Uh, you have what Jesus is really getting at. And I'm going to throw at you this question from Twitter here as well. Uh, Chris says, some Christians read verse 6 and 7 as a contrast between the liturgy and revivalism, as between repetitive words or spoken words and heart worship. Is that what's being said? Wow. A um, lot to unpack there. Um, yeah, I would there say is. just simply stated here, I mean, in, in verse uh, 6 and 7, <clears throat> excuse me, in verses 6 and 7, I mean, he's going after hypocrisy. Uh, I mean, that's the main thrust of those verses. He's going after the hypocrisy. But, uh, you know, come back and maybe unpack a little bit here uh, from that question, something you mentioned earlier, too, as well. Uh, we want to make sure to hit and understand that traditions in of themselves are not bad. So it's not that Christ is attacking traditions. He's attacking uh, those keywords, the teaching uh, of the traditions that, that, that uh, come from man. So that verse 8, uh, you abandon the commandments of God to hold to the human traditions. And so when we think about traditions, traditions can be either good or they can be bad. When they're bad, we would say that they oppose the gospel, uh, that they stand in the way of Scripture, and that they bind conscience when conscience is not to be bound. And, um, you know, these traditions then actually take a way of uh, communicating to us as human beings, and they take the place of communicating uh, as if they were God's Word when they are not. And so in that sense, tradition can be, um, you know, very bad. But tradition can also be good when it does the exact opposite, when it upholds Christ, uh, when it 
teaches the teaches the scriptures to us, and when it uh, brings the conscience, when it brings the gospel to the conscience, and then when it communicates and delivers God's word. So, in that sense, we would say that tradition can be good. And so, you know, when we go the way of bad tradition, we go the way of hypocrisy, um, which is exactly what this text is really hitting on, where we, we honor the Lord with our lips, but our hearts are far, far from Him. Uh, he's actually uh, paraphrasing, quoting from Isaiah in that text, pulling out the hypocrisy that is developing uh, from this uh, way of going the traditions of men. I think verse 7 is key here, too, when he says, In vain did they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. To, to understand that this is about law and gospel at the root as well, that the vanity of their worship is not that they're repeating something, it's that they're repeating the wrong thing, and they're doing so because they believe that by doing it, they're going to be made righteous, right? So if I keep these laws, therefore God will love me, as opposed to, what God institutes, I'm going to give you my word that declares to you that you are righteous. And if we repeat that, if we have that come to us again and again, if we go to the Lord's Supper and bow down and believe what God has said, this is for you to forgive your sins. Well, neither is that a law that we're keeping. It's a place where the gospel is being given, nor is it a commandment of men. And and there's nothing particularly um, traditional in, in the kind of the worst sense of the word about going to the Lord's Supper as often as you eat and drink of it, as, as our Lord says to do. Quite the opposite. The repetition there is the value. The real difference is, is it is it for faith or is it for works? The real difference is, is it from God or is it from men? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you think about the word, the word hypocrite, too, I mean, the very root of it comes from <laughs> play acting. And so, uh, you know, you, you really put on a mask. Uh, hypocrisy is putting on a mask and portraying one thing on the outside and the other on the inside beneath the mask or the heart is a completely opposite thing. And so it's very easy uh, to go down this route of uh, the traditions of man. And in fact, I mean, I would even make it even uh, more severe. What we end up wanting to do as human beings, we want to create our own man-made traditions, Mm -hmm. and we usually create traditions that are easy for us to fulfill. And so we, 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 we gravitate to those human traditions that um, are easy for us to fulfill, easy for us to uh, uh, hold on to, things that prop us up, and then we follow those on the outside. And in the meantime, we're, we're, we're our hearts and our souls are, are like dead man's bones. We're, we're, we're dying on the inside. So on the outside, we keep the outside of the cup polished. Uh, we're following these traditions of man, things, things that we can um, embrace ourselves. And um, in the meantime, we're dying on the inside. And then we just chalk it up on the outside that, hey, look at me, I'm fulfilling it, I'm doing okay. Um, And then we condemn anyone else who doesn't prop up our own rules that we have propped up for ourselves. The real trick spiritually on this matter is the fact that no matter where you are as a Christian, you're going to fall susceptible to, to this in one way or another. Every congregation is going to have things that they are clinging to that are not actually what God has given us to cling to. And because of that, because they are our little pet idols, they're the hardest things in the world for us to admit are a problem. And it's not that the thing itself is necessarily a problem, right? It's that we've decided to put our trust in that thing. It's misplaced trust that Jesus Mm -hmm. is most upset about because he wants us to trust in him because his trust is going to prove itself valuable, particularly on the day of judgment. Talking with Pastor Matt Richard about Mark chapter 7 here in his time, Worldwide Kia, if you will. Going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Got a lot of text to Still to come, stick around.
Listen to Worldwide KFUO a click away 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. With our KFUO website and smartphone apps, you can listen to our live stream and our on-demand programs and podcasts anytime, day or night. Listen to Worldwide KFUO when you're available and where you are. Listen on your car radio, Bluetooth devices, smartphones, podcast players, Wi-Fi radios, and so many other listening devices. Listen today, tonight, tomorrow, whenever. And tell your friends about KFUO or click away 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. So, who's going to do what? Flashlights? Nowhere to be found. Emergency supply kits? Not packed. What about blankets? We have an old towel. Cell phones? May not work. Emergency water? Not a drop. Perfect. We all know where we're meeting if we're separated. The library. Oh, Jones House. The bus stop. And I'll be waiting here wondering where you all are. Great. It sounds like we don't have a plan. Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Visit ready.gov kids for tips and information. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. You're listening to His Time on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. I'm Pastor Jonathan Fist talking with Pastor Matt Richard about Mark chapter 7 and the tradition of the elders, traditions of men versus the doctrine, the truth of God himself. The challenge, again, always is how we uh, we, we want to cling to something that's our own. And we have a habit of grabbing on to that thing and putting it in the place of God's word, even to our detriment sometimes. I mean, have you ever heard it said? I know you've heard it said in your church, something along the lines of, well, we shouldn't do that because we've always done it a different way. That's, well, th- that's the blindness that, that Jesus is concerned about. Now, it's fine if you want to cling to, you know, we've always used Hoover vacuums, so we're just going to keep using them. Well, that, fine. It's when God's word comes and brings you a different truth or where you get confronted and called to repentance on something that you've forgotten in scripture and you hold your tradition against that thing. That's the problem that Jesus now brings up in verse nine when he says to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition, right? You've ignored what God has said for the sake of what you've always done. For Moses said, and now he's going to quote Moses to them, which they should believe, honor your father and your mother. And then Moses again, whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. And what he's emphasizing here is that the, the real desire for God is honoring father and mother. But now he's going to quote the tradition of the elders, the actual tradition of the elders. If you say that if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, which is a technical term, Mark even says that here, that is given to God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Now, this what this is is a loophole in their legal giving code that basically the money that I ought to give to my father and mother to take care of them, I can write that off on my, on my mother and father giving taxes by giving it to God instead. And so I can, I can say, well, sorry, I have to tithe, and so I can't really help you here while I keep another portion for myself. And so with, what do you do then is you, you're using this tradition of the elders to undo the care of the elderly in your midst. Thus, verse 13, making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. This is just one example here. But so he's basically saying, look, you've even taken this tradition of the elders and you've just found the best ways to use it only to support your flesh. Uh, Anything in there, Pastor Richard, or you can go a completely different direction if you like. No, I think I think you're spot on. I mean, that's that's the whole point. Uh, you know, this would be a considered a bad tradition. Uh, good tradition would not actually set up a scenario where you are working contrary to the Word of God. And so, I think that, again, the the key point for the listeners to understand is that uh, what we're dealing with is not not uh, tradition in general. It's it's bad tradition, and that bad tradition is opposing Christ and standing in the way of the Scriptures, and is binding conscience. And it, it, it 
it's taking the place of God's Word and communicating uh, false ideas and, and a false piety, a hyper-piety to the people that is actually working counterintuitive. It's working against God's Word, against His commands. And so, uh, really, when this does happen, it does happen in churches and in, in all of our lives, when we find ourselves at this crossroad, we really have only two choices. Either we go to the way of repentance, which is admitting, you know what, I have followed a bad tradition, and then repentance would bring us to understanding uh, the new situation in light of God's Word, and then by God's Holy Spirit through the Word, uh, then to be compelled and to have our hearts created anew to walk in that newness. Um, or we can dig ourselves in, and we can uh, balk at the uh, Word of God, and we can write it off, and then we can cling to our traditions, and we then, in effect, dig ourselves in even more uh, to our, our position and then we attack those who come at us with God's Word, which is exactly what's happening here. They're, they're offended by Jesus because Jesus is exposing their false and bad ideas when, regarding tradition here. So they're going against the Son of God in order to prop up their own commands and their own way of doing things. The irony of the person who would say that, that this is just saying all traditions are bad is that you, you have to then become a hypocrite to say that. Because you have to have a tradition, one way or the other. And it can be even as simple as we meet on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Well, if you believe all tradition is bad, you can't do that. You have to meet at a different time every week and constantly be changing. Well, no one's in the right mind is going to do that, well, which is why it's really dishonest to use this text in the debate about what kind of music you want to use in church. This text just has nothing to do with that, unless you happen to believe that God requires a certain kind of music, in which case you've made a tradition of men equal to the Word of God, and, and and you need to repent of that, because God does not actually prescribe a particular kind of music. He does prescribe certain things like reverence. He does prescribe certain things like absolution and the Lord's Supper. So if you're getting rid of those things, right, if that's what you mean by, by revivalism, well, that's that's a little bit more of a problem there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you bring up a very, very good point that, that every church has tradition, and, and whether we like to admit or not, there is tradition. We are people of habit. Uh, we're, we're, you know, I mean, you think about the Super Bowl. You know, every year that the Super Bowl comes along, I mean, every, every family that watches the Super Bowl, they have certain ways of doing things. Or Thanksgiving, we have Thanksgiving traditions that are passed down from one generation to the next. So we are people who are uh, prone to go the way of tradition. But then the question comes, is that tradition in line with God's Word, or does it support God's Word? Uh, does it support... Uh, in, in the edification of receiving Christ, or do those traditions bind conscience and then uh, steer us away from God's Word? I mean, that's the key fundamental difference here. Uh, there, there's another aspect here, and, uh, man, I don't want to take us too much of a ditch here, but if, if I can throw it out. Yeah, yeah you got and, time. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is, is how these uh, scribes and Pharisees, how they understand sin. Uh, if you think about this, they see sin as not an internal condition, but they see sin as almost like a germ, and it's a germ that is, is out there, and it can be managed by these traditions and rules and regulations that they can do. So, in other words, don't do these things, but do these good things, and then so by doing that, you are uh, abstaining and keeping away from bad germs of sin. Uh, you're keeping yourself pure, and you're doing these righteous things. But the reality, what they don't realize and, and what they have underestimated is the depravity of the heart, that it's out of the heart um, that, that sin comes forth. 
that we have a sinful condition. So we sin because we are sinners. Uh, not that we sin and do bad things which make us sinners, but it is because of who we are, our sinful condition, which is the reason why we end up sinning. So these traditions, they're, they're in essence, they're, they're putting a Band-Aid on cancer. They're, they're trying to scrub the outside of the pot and failing to see the, um, the, uh, the, 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 the absolute um, you know, filth on the inside. They're, they're polishing the outside of the tomb, and failing to realize that there's dead man's bones on the inside. So it's a really um, very weak understanding of anthropology, a very weak understanding of the human condition. Uh, they, they, they have seen mankind actually better than mankind really is. Yeah, you know, they're polishing the tomb. Jesus says in another place, the tomb of the prophets who your fathers murdered for the sake of them speaking the word that they didn't want to hear, which I'm now speaking to you, right? I mean, it's, it's, our, it's our tendency to set ourselves against God's Word and our traditions when they become bad is when we make them those self-justifying tools by which we convince ourselves that we're good without grace alone, right? And without, therefore, repentance. Right on. Yeah. yeah. Um, we got another question here from Twitter that asks, does the historic liturgy leave room for congregational traditions? You want to take a stab at that? Not really an exegetical question, but a good question. Yeah, one more time. So it says, does the congregational liturgy... Does the historic room? liturgy. So, the, you know, the liturgy we've inherited, uh, what some people call traditional worship, but I would, I would just call it, you know, the liturgy. Um, does it leave room for congregational traditions? So to, to, for the congregation to kind of do what they will with it? Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I think the liturgy as, as a whole, you look at the liturgy, there's, there's a structure and a format of the liturgy uh, for Sunday mornings. And also the liturgy of life, of our piety, um, there, there's a liturgy, a pattern to that. Now, there are, I guess you would say, between churches, there can be different traditions. Like I know here at Zion, Lutheran, Gwinner, we have certain hymns that are very dear to the people. And, um, you know, I'll give you an example, like on uh, Easter Sunday, there are uh, two or three Eastern hymns that we have to sing, and if we don't sing them, uh, the people, the, you know, not necessarily going to throw a revolt, it would just be very sad, because these hymns are so precious and so important, and the lyrics are so profound that they have sung them for the last hundred and, you know, 108 years since this church has been in existence. And so they want to sing these hymns because Grandpa and Grandma sung them. Um, they want their kids to learn those same hymns, so they want to sing those hymns on Easter Sunday. So that is a tradition within the greater liturgy, and um, you know, there's aspects that can happen within that liturgy. But to you know, toss out the liturgy and toss out huge components of it to develop your own traditions, boy, um, you know, I get concerned with that because then we, you know, can end up uh, creating um, our own man-made traditions that then are not based off of Scripture, the historic uh, liturgy that's based off of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years of Scripture um, being embedded in the Church, um, and then we can end up going almost rogue as a Church doing our own thing, and we're not walking together with other Christian churches around us. So yes, you can have tradition within that liturgy, but to toss out the liturgy to develop your own tradition, boy, I, I get a little nervous about that. Well, you got two sides that you can fall off the horse on this one. And like you said there, I mean, the argument you made about how this is important to the congregation because it's been done so long and so it's valuable to them, that can be made on a bigger than a congregational level. But let's say, uh, you know, they're singing these hymns. Let's say one of these hymns happens to be um, Sweet Child of Mine by Guns of Ro Guns and Roses, which has <laughs> yeah. nothing to do with liturgy or Easter whatsoever. In that case, it doesn't matter if you've done it for 150 years. It really doesn't belong at Easter Sunday, right? right the right, other side absolutely. is where it's Christ Jesus Lay in Death Strong Bands, which is a great hymn by Dr. Luther, and you start saying... 
every church in the world has to sing this song on Easter Sunday, or they're not really a Christian church. Right. Now you fell off the other side of the horse, and right. you have a problem right. there. The other thing I would just say about going rogue is, I mean, you might be able to go rogue faithfully for a generation, but the challenge is, how do you pass that forward? How do you pass the faithfulness forward without establishing a tradition. And if you got a tradition that's worked really well for 2,000 years and you think you're going to come along and just make a better one this week, well, I, I, forgive me, I'm going to call that a little proud, proud, prideful. You know, you're, you're really putting a little more stock in yourself than I'm willing to put in myself on this matter. I also want to just to answer the question on, on one more edge and we got to get back to the text. We actually answer this question in our confessions. Uh, uh, it is, is there room within the liturgy for congregational traditions? Article 15 of the Augsburg Confession says this. It says, concerning church regulations made by human beings, right? Traditions. It is taught to keep those that may be kept without sin and that serve to maintain peace and good order in the church. That's basically what Pastor Richard was saying about, you know, this this keeps people happy on, sun, on, on Easter Sunday, such as specific celebrations, festivals, like Easter itself being one of those. You could We mentioned church time earlier. That'd be one. It keeps good order. However, People are also instructed not to burden consciences with them as if such things were necessary to salvation. The time you meet on Sunday morning does not affect your salvation. It can be 9 a.m., it can be 10 a.m., it can be 8 a.m., right? It doesn't, doesn't even have to be Sunday morning. Moreover, it is taught that all rules and traditions made by human beings for the purpose of appeasing God and of earning grace are contrary to the gospel. That is, the moment you start saying you have to do it this way or you're not saved, and that hasn't come from God himself, now that tradition is not something you can keep. You have to actually get rid of it because you've put your trust in it. That is why monastic vows and other traditions concerning distinctions of food, days, and the like— um, uh, through which people imagine that they can earn grace and make satisfaction for sin are good for nothing and contrary to the gospel. Right? That's why we got rid of those things that we call too Catholic. The things that are really too Catholic are the things that people think are earning them salvation. And that's why we got rid of those things. So good question from Twitter there. Thanks for asking. There is plenty of room for growth in the liturgy. The question is, are you going to pass on a, a new tradition that is valuable or not? And why would you want to reinvent the wheel when you got it right there for you? Uh, we could have that debate at another time. So we got to get back to the text. We've got verse 14 and following. Pastor Richard brought up earlier, the real issue is a problem with how we view humanity. Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. That is, sin is not a germ. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Sin is a genetic disease of the heart. And, and the soul, I should say. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. The, the disciples, they don't get it. What do you mean? Are you, what are you talking about? And he said to them, then are you also without understanding, which kind of shows, yes, they are. They have been this whole time. They don't even know who he is, really. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Little science lesson there from Jesus, right? How your gut works. Thus, Mark points out, he declared all foods clean, which is a pretty interesting thing. He, he is undoing some of the Levitical codes for the sake of the world, for the New Testament. He's still keeping the Old Testament until he dies. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Here's the real point, right? That is our hearts that are the problem. That's what needs to be fixed. That's why he's got to die and rise. For from within, our, from within, out of the heart of man come all these evil things, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. You're not, you're not dirty because you went to the market and bought some meat. You're dirty because you're a selfish jerk, <laughs> and that's why you need a Savior. Yeah, you got about three minutes, Pastor Richard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what Jesus is doing here, he's revealing what a 
really, he's revealing what a cesspool the human heart is. I mean, boy, man, I, I, you know, people will say, you know what? Oh, boy, that's that person they'll talk about. You know, he's got a good heart. And I'm like, no, he doesn't have a good heart. Nobody has a good heart. I mean, the heart is, is deceitful. We cannot trust the heart. It's from the heart um, that, 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 spew, that spews forth sin. You know, the other day in uh, Sunday school, I was sharing with my uh, Sunday school class, and I just said, you know, the biggest problem in this church, in Zion Lutheran Church, and I said, you want to know what the biggest problem is? And they all leaned forward. And I said, the biggest problem in this church is Matt Richard. And mm. they all laughed, you know, pointing out that the biggest problem is my heart. And so then I looked at one of my uh, members, and I said, you know, Kelly, I said, what, what, what is the biggest problem in this church? You know, implying that he's supposed to answer it, you know, as, as oh, it's Kelly. And he looked at me and goes, oh, you know, you just told us it's Matt Richard. They're <laughs> laughing. But, I mean, the reality is this. The, the biggest problem is not my neighbor. It's not the government. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not this policy or that policy. The biggest problem in our lives is ourselves, is our sinful mm-hmm. heart. And so what we typically end up doing is we say that the problem is outside of ourselves, and the solution is within, if we just believe enough and if we have enough faith and if we just tap into some internal goodness, well, that's a bunch of malarkey. I mean, the problem is not outside of us, and the solution is not inside of us. The problem is actually inside of us, and the solution is outside of us in Christ. So we completely invert that. So we go around in life and we say, well, you know, the, you know, the problem is all out there, and I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and look internally to my goodness. Well, we cut ourselves off from grace, and we are deceiving ourselves. The biggest problem in this world is ourselves. It is our heart. And the biggest solution is outside of our heart in the believing and the dying and uh, resurrected Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. It is in his word and sacrament that come to us that uh, grant us forgiveness and strength and life and salvation. And so our, our help is always looking outside of ourselves to Christ and his word and sacrament. So Christ is ultimately pointing us back to the word which never changes, the actual commandment of God, steering us clear of what we would set up as our own idols, and in that, giving us, well, well the gospel, uh, you know, the fact that, that God outside of us desires to save us. Any closing thoughts this morning, Pastor Richard? Well, I think, uh, just coming back, I mean, this is this kind of a real broad topic, but, uh, you know, really coming back to how do we understand God's law, under, understand traditions. Traditions can either be bad or good. They're bad when they are contradicting God's Word. They're good when they support and uplift and edify the Church in Christ. And then it ultimately comes back to uh, where do we look for solution? Do we look inward or do we look outward? Um, we we do most definitely look outside of ourselves to Christ and His forgiveness of sins. And hopefully the traditions are uplifting that gospel to us, um, that, that they're keeping us in the pattern of the gospel that comes to us constantly to remind us and to tell us that we're forgiven for Christ's sake. My guest, Pastor Matthew Richard of Zion Lutheran Church in Gwinter, North Dakota, talking about Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. Thank you, Pastor Richard, for being with us today. Sounds good. Thank you, Jonathan. Great to be here. In vanity do they worship me. That's the human problem. That's the human condition. This is why in all of our debates about how we ought to worship, we should really be concerned that what we bring to the table normally is our vanity. I want to worship like this because me. In vanity do we try to worship God. That's what paganism is. I have the ability to perceive and see into the deep hidden things of God all from me. Me, 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 I. I like, I want, give. As opposed to the doctrine of Jesus, which condemns our vanity, but then also absolves it, right? Teaching as doctrines, not the commandments of men, but the actual word of God, which is the power of salvation to all who believe it. Repeating that's not vanity. 
clinging to that is not vanity. And I'll tell you, as for me and my house, I want the tradition of clinging to what God has actually said. I want the tradition of believing the gospel and trusting in that mercy for the sake of my life, both now and forever. You're listening to His Time on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, right back with a special guest about a unique movie dealing with free speech, comedy, and, well, Islam, actually. So stick around. <laughs> 